Once upon a midnight dreary, while I wait, that's been done. Hmm. Darkness falls across the land. No, oh, I've done that way too many times already. Oh, I'd never given much thought to how I would die. Oh, forget it. You, my friends, are listening to panelology. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Oh, forget it. Welcome to episode 284 of Panelology. I'm Alex. I am Brian. And I'm Megan. It's the most wonderful time <laughs> of the year. Ooh. <laughs> the leaves are turning. The coffee is pumpkin spiced. And more importantly, <laughs> the baked goods are pumpkin spiced. Have you seen the thing? I think it was going around on Twitter. And I'm totally going to misremember all of this and totally should have kept it somewhere close by. But it's something about how, like, there's some country in Europe where you, like, throw pumpkins at evil men or something like that. Oh, I'm going to have to find it now. I mean, this sounds like a great tradition. This sounds like a tradition that I think we should start in D.C. or at least at Joe Manchin's house. We we this country doesn't grow enough pumpkins. No. We will have to import pumpkins. Stimulate the global economy. There you go. Holy, not looking at my Twitter right now. Anyways, <laughs> no, you're playing Stardew. No, <laughs> no, no, not no. yet. Right. Not yet. I love it. Not yet. <laughs> But no, it is the time when we convene to talk about spoopy comics. Yeah. Heck yeah. First up is The Autumnal, written by Daniel Krauss, art by Chris Sheehan, colors by George, by Jason Wardy, and letters by Jim Campbell. I made Meg read this. Meg yelled at me for making <gasps> her read this. I assume this is the one you were she... yelling at me for. Yes. Did I what? I'm sorry. I was gonna add. Did you yell at him because you did like it or because you didn't like it? I just, I just, I, I just don't always need my horror to have existential crisis too, which I know I just really botched in pronouncing, but I don't care because I'm so <laughs> like Alex. I didn't mean for this one to cause an existential crisis. <laughs> this was, for what it's worth, this was carelessness on my part. Not, oh no, no this no, will no, get under Meg's skin. <laughs> to be fair, this was, this was so, like I took the Rob character to great directions. One of which is like this very deep, moving ah ah. This man carries trauma for other people, and I totally would have also banged him. I got your back, cat. But also, man, what a pretentious hipster fuck! <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Like, if I met that guy in Brooklyn, I'd be like, nah, sorry, no. If you meet him in a creepy Stephen King town, though. 100% yes. Oh, man. I just, I can get on board with Ball wanting to kill me. Yeah? I can get on board with 
cursed witch vibes. Cursed forest witch demanding child sacrifice. Yes. Out of vengeance because of shitty men. Yes. Just also did not need the, we, I get the tattoos that I removed tattooed on me. And the more I talk about this, and wow, it's so pretentious. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, <sighs> for what it's worth, I knew you'd like Rob. And Kat. <sighs> what, I have a type? No. Um, it's the out of context part. It feels very pretentious. <laughs> That's fair. I have been harassing you since like April to read this book. Yes. So I am glad you did. Was it worth was it worth my harassing you for six months? Yes. Cool. I really loved it. And I will be buying it uh now that I know I love it. I was a little concerned, but uh man, it takes some twists and part of me wants to throw it at my roommate. <laughs> uh, I think he'd also enjoy it. Yeah. But yeah, like I just if someone was like, hey, let me let me make the concept of autumn one of the things you love more than anything else in this world, the one thing that still hasn't 100% been jaded, and let me make you afraid of it. And I think I would have been like, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, no, read it. It's so pretty. <laughs> uh I might have sold this to you the wrong way. <laughs> Brian, but did I stand you read by. It? I did not. I have oh, not read it. Okay. Am I selling you on it at all? <laughs> I don't know. It's also. Yeah, I mean, it's also about as, generational trauma. Does that help? <laughs> Yo, gee, yeah. Now I'm all in. <laughs> you know what I like about it is uh, truly. I looked at this. Is a great way of kind of poking fun at the whole concept of like leaf peepers and like our obsessions with the perfect fall town. And they have that literally. And it's the most terrifying thing to them. Yeah, because Clementine Biddle's always watching through the leaves. Oh my god. I'm like you, Meg. Though I like I, I like autumn. I don't want to. <laughs> Just stay away from orange leaves. Yeah, and dead bodies that have plants growing out of them. Uh... And also, if you're just like, I'm sorry. Has how how are we not? past enough generations of this much horror media that if you inherit a house from someone that you haven't spoken to in like I think it was like 20 years for her and or you know a family member that you never had met or any don't go to the fucking house <laughs> what are you talking about Meg Alex keeps insisting he'd still read the book I would. I would read from the book. <laughs> I know you would. But also, Meg raises a valid point that will come up at least one more time this episode. <laughs> it can come up so yes. many times. Like, what? Uh, yeah. Like, you know, creepy house. No, don't go. <laughs> that's that's Brian's mnemonic. Creepy house. No, don't go. <laughs> 
I do think that like there was something about the way you pitched it to me that did slightly turn me off. And I think it was, I don't remember how exactly it was described, but it was less magical realism feel and more horror feel. Like, like I guess I kept thinking it was going to be more like that one we read last year. Oh, I'm totally blanking on what it's the called. The Lolo Woods? Yes. And I was worried it would be something else like that. And I think that that's kind of why I've stayed away from it. Because I was gotcha. like, that's heavy. And this is very well done. And I truly enjoyed it. But it's not... And, and while I did have a moment of crises, that is like, we'll say 65% me. <laughs> and not like... It's not the intent, in my opinion. But Yeah. It's dark. It's not heavy. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's a fair distinction. Yeah. Do we want to move on? Sure. Department of Truth. I'm going to be quick on this one because it's just me. Uh, although I know Meg's got a copy sitting there somewhere to read. I do, and I know I read issue one. This is this is my subgenre of horror this year. It's not necessarily explicitly horror, but it reminds me of the real world around us, and that's more terrifying than anything a horror book can do. Is this much like the Mark Russell book where uh, the best horror is just showing you the world? Yeah, <sighs> honestly. Um, this is James Tynan with art by Martin Simmons and letters by Aditya Bidikar. Uh And this is about a secret government organization, very kind of men in black, except instead of aliens, it deals with conspiracy theories. And the idea that the more people believe a theory, the more it actually manifests in the world. So that ranges from a wall in Antarctica because the world has become flat because enough people believe that to Bigfoot wandering around the woods to uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. Like there are these interlude issues with guest artists that go back to different points in time and establish the history and founding of the department of truth. Uh, and the, the department is led by, um, Oh, shoot. Not John Wilkes Booth. Different assassin. <laughs> Killed Kennedy. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Thank yeah. you. Lee Harvey Oswald runs the Department of Truth. Because he didn't actually kill Kennedy, that was his cover. The good news is, one day the flying spaghetti monster will be real. <laughs> I, like, I bet that it shows up in this book at some point. <laughs> I love this concept. Because, I mean, like, you know me, I love conspiracy theories. And I love pretend believing in them and towing that line. But also, there are so many people that have forgotten that line exists. Yeah. And I'm not ready for a book that, like, exploits that. Like, I really like my horror. This is why I don't love Stephen King. I like my horror to be a wall. Like... <laughs> I don't need, oh, uh, the world sucks. No, I know that. Let me escape into another horror. That's, that's, well, I like, this is why I say this is my subgenre of horror of the year, because, like, <laughs> these are the books that terrify me the most. It is an existential fear. Eat your heart out, ice cream man. <laughs> I, I do love, I do love this, though, and actually, it, it's funny that I happen, and I don't know why I mentioned it. But the flying spaghetti, because the idea that, I mean, I totally believe the idea that 
if you fully believe in something, whether or not that thing is real, your belief in and of itself can affect you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the Um, crazy thing is, one of the best books I've read this year also plays into that a little bit. Uh, It was um, Gods of Jade and Shadow. Shadow. Yep. Excuse me. But playing into that whole concept of like gods fade away because the belief runs out and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like this is no different than that. It's just that, you know, romanticizing what used to be is always going to be better for us than thinking about what is and what is to come. Like, Or at least easier for us. I mean, yeah, we rationalize it away to simplify simpler times, but you know there were just as many conspiracy theories back then. Oh yeah, you know what? You know what though? It's also it's also a little bit safer because they tend to be things that you know have already occurred, so they can't affect For you sure. as much. One of the historical flashback issues, to your point, Meg, is about a conspiracy theory in the 11th century about one of the popes changing not like changing the calendar system but creating this like mass confusion over the date to like shift the dates of historical events and like hide that he's immortal or something like that oh no (laughs) wow all right i'll catch up on this i don't know how james tynan doesn't go insane writing this book and researching this book was that pope vandal savage (laughs) yeah how did you know (laughs) Gideon Falls, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Andrea Sorrentino, colors by Dave Stewart, letters wait, wait. by Steve Wands. What? What's up? I just no. One more quick. I just really quick question. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Oh no, you're uh, good. Have you read either of you read Berserk, like Keanu Reeves comic? Nope. Comic. No, I have not. No. Is that my choice or like? I, bandwidth I, I like i'm not reading the things that i have already gotten to read so i'm so far behind it is okay. by yeah. choice on my part in just in that like hyper violent stuff isn't my thing that's fair that's fair I, my question was just gonna be and, and this is totally stemming from the fact that i bought a copy of it um because it kind of i was like i don't know where this falls but also i like keanu reeves um and then reading the back, it's it's an about something about an, uh, an immortal man. And both uh, Red and I were like, is this like Keanu Reeves' biography? And, <laughs> and so, so you talking about this immortal man, I, that reminded me of that. And half my question was, is this a horror comic? But also, hey, is it also supposed to be autobiographical? Is this how Keanu Reeves comes out to us? I would love. That's cool. I think if if Keanu Reeves were some sort of immortal being, that would be exactly how he would do it. Yes, I I cannot rule this out. Also, if we get enough people believing in it, hi, (laughs) Department of Truth. Maybe it's real then. Yes. Somewhere, Brett Goldstein wonders why his hand is suddenly incorporeal (laughs) and Pixar, (laughs) like a Pixar character. Oh. Oh boy. Okay, now Gideon falls. Yes, I'm so sorry. Oh, you're good. Uh, I haven't read any more of it since last time we talked about it. Meg, did you finish it? I have finished it, yes. I will will try not to spoil it too much. Um, I think it was satisfactory. Um, I think I definitely need to reread it because, like, now that it's all done, 
because so much of it is timey-wimey weird stuff that um i i don't know i don't know if it'll read better or worse altogether every time i have revisited it revisited it i have gone back to the beginning and started over and it has made more sense every time okay Uh, yeah yeah okay I'm very happy that it is done because I think I read the first arc and like I was like I, at this point I I this is one I've got to wait till it's done because I know when I start it I'm going to want to read front to end so I get the whole thing. It yeah. is one of those that I I truly do love it and I love how it ends and it is, it feels very divided online and how it was received. Um but I fall on the side that I fucking loved it. But um it has, I love the artwork of this, but it has this vibe of like, I feel like FX will try to make a TV show out of this or like Cinemax or Showtime or something like someone who's not just quite big enough to have a yeah. good budget to turn this into something because like the smiling man is terrifying yes, and some is. of this time stuff could be really, like, really, really good to mess around with. And while I do think that Legion was great, um, was that AMC, actually? I don't know. Anyways, um, I don't know. I just, with Why the Last Man getting canceled, um, especially after getting some people who had never heard of the comic to watch the show and enjoy it, now it's like, you got me into a show that is literally getting canceled. So I don't It's, it's really got me in that head of like, I read a lot of comics that would be so great. and would fall into this exact same category. Yeah, I did. I did read an article earlier today about why the last man and its cancellation. It mostly boiled down to they'd kept everyone on the hook and on contracts for so long. And we're going to have to do like another eight months of holding to film anything else. And that's why they stopped, because they didn't want to, like, just ask people to hold for eight months. But apparently HBO Max is already looking at picking it up and moving it. Oh, okay. Because, like, I was reading about how it was, like, 8.3 million an episode or something insane. And, like, that would increase by 3 million. I, like, skimmed it and was like, I can't think about that much money going into one episode. I cannot read this right now. And I think, from what I read, it sounds like some of that is amortizing the costs of a 14-year development period. And keeping actors on contract and reshooting episodes after having to recast roles and a lot of that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. The truest yeah. horror, capitalism. <laughs> no, but I, I do remember. I do remember the art in this. Uh, me thinking that it fit the story wonderfully. Yes. Like, yeah, it was. It was a little almost dissociative in some places, and like, but that made complete sense for this story, right? Well, yeah. it's a little different flavor of Sorrentino because normally yeah. his lines are very detailed and crisp and clean and you get that's what i mean but the inking over them is rougher sketchier like a a little less polished in ways that look run down when it needs to run down be run down that's kind of what i meant by dissociative yeah but yes yeah i'm at some point at some point i will finish reading this and i i'm very much looking forward to it same 
now that it's done, definitely get it a run through. Yeah. Homesick pilots. Okay, Brian, we have to convince Meg that she wants to read this. Meg, you know, this is, I don't, I don't think there's anything that will give you any kind of existential anything with this. It's just really good. This is, mm, I, I don't know. That. I don't know. I don't know. I know Meg. Meg could find, Meg could find a couple of things in this to hang some existential crisis on. I feel like, uh, I feel like I need to write this down for my therapist. Good God. Um, I, okay. When did volume one of this come out? Earlier this year. Yes. Okay. Three months ago, I yeah. think something like that. Okay, so because I was, I know there was a time where you and I got together and I bought a bunch of comics. Yes, and it wasn't out yet that I think the last issue came out the week. Uh, the last issue of that arc came out like a week later. Okay. Because that was then, like May. Then yeah, I probably don't have any of this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is written by Dan, Dan Waters, art by Casper Wingard, letters by Aditya Bidikar, and designed by Tom Muller. It is about punk rock teen orphans getting trapped in a possessed ghost house oh, and having Jesus to go Christ. collect lost spirits that then give the ghost house powers and turn it into a giant, basically, mech that then fights other evil ghost house. Fueled 100%. by rage and loss and anger. Either this is on a list of comics that I need to buy that I have, like, buried somewhere, or I actually probably do have volume one over there and have completely forgotten. It, th- either I mean, is like, possible. It could go either way. Because <laughs> this is definitely one where I would have been like, hey, volume one came out this Wednesday when I was Yeah, but that's, list. like, I don't know. I haven't been buying as many. Uh, Fair. Yeah. Yeah. But now I yeah. really want to go see if it's over there. It is. It is. It, I, one of my favorite books this year, hands down. And the it art is. style in it is so, like, not what you expect, but works perfectly. Yeah. Um, one of, one of the it's, early it's monsters. Punk art. Yeah. It's punk, <laughs> it's art. punk art. There you go. One of the early monsters is this sentient VHS tape that, like, becomes, grows a body by, like, unspooling itself the ribbon and the ribbon becomes its legs and torso and arms and the the tape is the head and like you can trace the tape through its body and it feels continuous and there are really cool fight sequences and i'm not a fight person in comics right but there was like really cool fight sequences with this tape monster that are just so they shouldn't work they shouldn't work and they do uh and and a, a big part of what makes this work also is the fact that it once once it makes these kind of odd pivots like this like it doesn't just become that and and that's all it is like it's still at the heart kind of like in the center of the house so to speak it, like it's still this one character and her relationship to her other bandmates and yeah how she kind of wants to be part of the house because she wants to see, you know, she wants to try and help these spirits, but she doesn't because it's destructive and like, it's yeah, it's so good. Totally actually bought this on Comixology. I do have Yes. So. There you go. I will be reading it. It's yeah, going it's on like, the list. I think this is the first time Brian and I have read the first issue of a comic and said, out loud on a recorded episode of Panelology. Well, here's our favorite comic of next year. <laughs> <laughs> and our opinion has not changed. Like, 
this is going to win 2021 yeah. for us. Uh, it, yeah. Okay. I, I don't know how it doesn't at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess I mean, I'm going to. There's crossover, which, but, you know. Crossover is excellent. I love crossover, too. <laughs> but, uh, but, oh, God, this is so good. Um, yeah, no, I cannot recommend, cannot recommend enough. Yeah. Go get the first trade. Actually, the second trade's out now too, isn't it? Um, the arc just finished. I don't think the trade is out yet. The, the oh, maybe it's, oh, maybe oh, that's yeah. what it is. The it's second, out. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the last issue of the second arc came out last week. They, they are, they are, they advertise for the second one. In yeah. the, at the end of this one, right? Because it's done now, right? Uh, it would not be a panelology spooktacular without mentioning Ice Cream Man. <laughs> we are twenty-five issues deep. Uh, it is written by W. Maxwell Prince with art by Martin Marazzo, colors by Chris O'Halloran, and letters by Good Old Neon. Bonus points, there's also a six-issue companion series all about clowns called Haha. Ha. It's not actually overtly horror, but everyone I mention it to feels like it is because it's about clowns. <laughs> this is like what? the most Night Gallery-esque book possibly that has ever been made. Yeah. Like... Like, like you talk about the, you know, the, the vignettes of different stories and things, mm -hmm. and this just nails it. The Dr. Seuss parodies are always my favorites. <laughs> or like children's book parodies. Yes. Yeah. Oh. I feel like I have to work myself up to an Ice Cream Man volume. Or like like two. I have to be able to work myself up to, to like two. And I haven't been able to do that for a while. I'm so behind. <laughs> But I miss it, too, because I did love what I read. I yeah. also can't believe it's only been 25 issues. Like, it feels like it should be so much more. Yeah, I think 26 literally came out today as we're recording. But no, you're right. It does take breaks between arcs. Okay. And there have been some delays, too, I think. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. I guess COVID did happen. Yeah. Oh, they did a whole. They did the whole quarantine comics thing I during do COVID. That. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, um. Those were fun. Fun's a weird word for anything to do with this book. Those were yeah. well done. Those were satisfying. <laughs> those were horrifying. Go. So the clowns were not meant to be scary. Some of the stories were, but they weren't all meant to be. Some, no, were, some were meant that. to be sad, some were meant to be unsettling. There's one that was yeah. straight up hopeful. And then there was the last one that was set in the world of Ice Cream Man and tied the two series together. Huh. Like, it was not a happy, happy, joy, joy book. But nope. it was also, like, not necessarily existential crisis after existential crisis. I'm just... <laughs> It doesn't have to always be an existential crisis. That's just me. <sighs> <laughs> well, uh, Meg, what existential crises did we find in Nailbiter Returns? Oh my god, I fucking love Nailbiter Returns me so too. much. I'm so... sad there were only two volumes. I am too. That is my first like big complaint is that this arc is too rushed. It needed another five issues to really just lean into the horror and the backstory of the parents. I was really enjoying that. So I don't know if it was in the trade, but in the single issues, there was actually like a letter at the end of the last issue of this that talked about, they had planned to do more. They had planned to continue. 
and then COVID happened, and then one or both of them had children born. And it literally became, we can't do this work well right now. We're going to oh. pause here and come back later. But they did kind of rush this arc in so that, well, it, oh. either way, it's not bad. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, this is a straight up complaint of just that I I really actually don't like when things come back. And this may actually be my kind of issue with superheroes where I'm just like, let it be done. Stop killing yeah. the same people. But anyways, um, so when it, it was announced that Nailbiter was coming back, I was both super excited uh, because Nailbiter is one of my first horror comics and super scared because <laughs> things were returning and usually aren't as good. I laughed so much reading the second volume. Uh, it's so good. They're both so great. It's just Warren is so well done, and he both makes you laugh and be infuriated, and also like feel really bad for him. But you know, All right. I'm gonna ask this question. I do not have a good answer yet. I'm hoping to find one. If they did a nailbiter TV show, who oh. plays Warren? You know what? I started thinking that too because I was also like, this would be so much fun for someone to get their hands on and just have fun with all of the serial killers. Um, especially taking this arc and expanding it out. Oh my yeah. god, it'd be so much fun. 30 years ago, Woody Harrelson would have been my pick. Oh, 100% yes. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I'd really have to think on it. Yeah. I feel like that's actually a really hard character to cast. Like, it's just the right amount of charisma mixed with the ability to both not be creepy and creepy when need be. But just yeah. enough creepy that you're like, was that weird? I, I feel like that was weird. Do do I because I, I do remember from the first I do remember it's the do I like that he did that or do I not like yeah. that he did that <laughs> like like there's there's literally a scene where he asks I don't want to spoil like much like I don't know how far you ran into this Brian but uh the cop it's like give me space or something like that. And you expect her to comfort him, and instead she just walks away. And I have to sit there for a minute and be like, whoa. And then it's like, wait, let's think back to all the things that he has done. And like, <laughs> yeah, you, you cannot fault her for her decision to do that. But that's just how charming he is. Yeah. yeah. So, especially with that beard. <sighs> <laughs> It's almost Michael C. Hall on Dexter, but I feel like he gets more likable than Dexter ever gets. Yes. I feel like Michael C. Hall's like Michael C. Hall on Dexter is half of the equation. Yeah. I don't know. Because I feel like a J.K. Simmons could have done it too. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we have until next year to figure it out. <laughs> I mean, you, you, could, you could get Mads. He did a good job with Hannibal. <laughs> but it needs to be younger. Like he needs yeah, to be. Yeah, I agree. You're, yeah, I would say like thirties. Yeah, and that's the thing is I'm totally blanking on. What about this? Is okay. 
I don't know if this is a good choice or not, but I can also picture him doing it. Stephen Amell. Okay, I was going to go with Robert Buckley, but let's talk about these choices. <laughs> okay, well, here's, here's the first takeaway. We're definitely imagining this is a CW series, right? <laughs> yeah. it have to be. No, 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 because, like, hi, CW, hi, hi. Let me pitch you something, and it, I want all the credit to go to this podcast. I will be getting part of those royalties, guys. Hi. But, legit, what you have with Riverdale, read Nailbiter. I was just thinking the same thing. You know what? Just read Nailbiter. <laughs> Nancy either... Drew was not the answer. <laughs> Nailbiter is. Yeah, like, it's cool. You can make them two different stories, or you could just turn Riverdale into Nailbiter. Like, it's not hard. I'm but, not sure sometimes Riverdale isn't Nailbiter. Yeah, I mean, 100%. But, yeah, like, I think that's why I love both of them. Because they're both so batshit. Yeah. Cole Sprouse. Cast Cole Sprouse. No. <laughs> no, I don't think that's actually the right call. But it's a funny thing to say out loud. It is a funny thing to say. But Stephen Amell is currently in Heels, which is uh, actually both really good and really deep and make, it gives me, like, emotional feels. And then the person turns around and is a sociopath and a psychopath. Like, I, I, I got a lot of feelings with Heels. But, uh, I didn't know he had a new show. It's on Stars. Um, it's, I actually really enjoy it, and I think it's a fairly different character from uh, Oliver Queen. McQueen? Cool. Whatever. Queen. Yeah, you got it. Um, so he, I think he, I don't know. I don't know, though, if he can pull off the right kind of sinister. That's fair. I don't know. I'd have to we'll figure that. it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Meanwhile, Which... the nice house on the lake. Speaking of uh, existential crises. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Once no. again, written by James Tynan IV. <laughs> art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno. Colors by Jordi Belair and letters by Andworld Design. So, Brian, it's been a minute since you've gotten to talk about this. Uh, so, I was just going to say, so it turns out the only time you want to go to the creepy house <laughs> is when it's the only way to uh, to survive the apocalypse. <laughs> oh, son of a bitch. Okay. So, okay, Meg, Meg, here's here's the pitch for Meg. A group of 12 people who kind of know each other because they're from overlapping social circles that all have this one friend in common get invited to a lake house for a weekend. Turns out that friend is some sort of alien, angel, something. The world ends, everyone they know and love melts and explodes in flame, and they're fine, except for, of course, the horror and trauma and crisis of having dealt with all that. There's a statue you can touch that shows you your hometown and the people you love and how everyone has died. Doesn't that sound like fun? I feel like every single one of these books I can relate to something else I've read this year, and I don't know if that's good or bad. But can you repeat the title of this comic one more time for me? That the would Nice be... House on the Lake. Oh, Christ. Yeah. <sighs> it's a 12-issue series. We're halfway through now. Yeah, um, it is, it, and it, so, I mean, you can imagine it, because it, it literally is just these people in this house, and so... And, and literally, they're the last people on Earth. So, like, it is all about character interaction and reaction and and how and their processing of this. And 
It's so good. It's nothing but character interaction. Like, it it changes stakes a lot because like each issue is kind of told from a different character's perspective. Right. Not like Animorphs, but like uh only murders in the building where it's just sort of gotcha. tinted by that perspective. Um there are you two don't... there are two pieces of media that no one has ever used in a single comparison together before yet. <laughs> what were you gonna say, Brian? I was gonna say it kind of reminds me of um God, what was the what was the the horror video game? Was it Until Dawn, where you kind of shift perspectives oh, and yeah. play as the different characters? Yeah. So, it, it, like I each issue was is kind of kind of like that, not exactly, but yeah. But like, no, there is an like issue where they all where they all kind of start to get complacent, and that may be the most terrifying one in a way. Oh yeah. no, man! I feel like oh, Alex. I wish like. There was a way to get you to like watch some of these horror shows because I feel like you'd really love how the Haunting of Hill House is done on Netflix. And like, but I don't know what kind of scary like really gets to you. So I'm like, what if we just watch it during the day? Because I, I think, mean, like, hearing you talk about this, this is what the Haunting of Hill House does. I am easily startled, so the main thing is jump scares. I don't like, like, Saw-esque gore. Um, okay. But if there's stuff I really need to see, we can have that conversation. It just may involve a certain amount, of, a non-zero amount of alcohol. <laughs> so you just play Five Nights at Freddy's all the time, right, Alex? <laughs> not even once. I have not spent a single night at Freddy's. <laughs> That's one of those things where, like, <laughs> you've no idea what it is, but it's been too long, and you're afraid to ask. Yeah, that's it for me. <laughs> so Five Nights at Freddy's is a sort of, of uh, stealth horror game in which you are trying to avoid detection by a bunch of malfunctioning Chuck E. Cheese robots. Yeah. Yeah, you okay. play a security guard who has to, who stays overnight. At, at, at the yeah, and these animatronics there's these animatronics come to life, and you're trying to not get killed by them. Lots of jump scares. Huh. I feel like I might love that, and I should probably try to find it. Oh, and there's a lot of it now, too. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Sorry. Oh, you're good. Uh, anything else on Nice House on the Lake, Brian? Uh, n- n- no. It's one of those that like. Even though we're halfway through it, I don't, I, I'm, I don't know exactly how to recommend it. I think until it finishes, if that makes sense. Well, I think that's other than to tell you what I already did, which is kind of what the setup is. Yeah, that's a little bit something that JD and Angela and I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Just that because those stakes shift, it almost feels like what flavor of horror it is shifts a little bit. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. And I think that makes it feel like a little amorphous to recommend because it's hard to describe exactly what past the setup. But I also think it uses that sort of shifting ground really effectively to keep you yeah. guessing as you read. It definitely uses it well. And, well, and to just keep each issue feeling kind of new, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is another one that I think is just super, super pretty. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is gorgeous. Re- as a matter of fact, I remember saying that. Like, there's one in the very first issue. There's like a double page spread of like the lake, 
Mm-hmm. The house, like it's just beautiful. So, uh, yeah, most recommend again. Yeah, Noctera. We have finished up the first arc of this recently. The first trade came out, I guess, as you're listening to this, almost two weeks ago now. Written by Scott Snyder, art by Tony S. Daniel, colors by Tameu More, and letters by Andworld Design. Yeah, this is a little bit in between horror and apocalypse, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely like to borrow to borrow Scott Snyder's term from uh, uh, "We Have Demons," which also would fall into this kind of category. Uh, it is an apocalypse story, but with like monsters and demons and like strong horror elements that are backing that up. It's not like a Why the Last Man or Sweet Tooth Apocalypse that's that's so some sort say... of disease. It's not like society has crumbled. It's just okay. a big thing happens and that causes okay. problems. It's a, In this oh case, shit, we summoned something, not oh shit, we accidentally killed ourselves. In this case, the sun goes out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, yeah, there's nothing. The whole world is dark. And the darkness transforms you into monsters. Cool. Right. All right. So you have to stay in lit areas. Um and I want to I want to be clear, obviously literally the last one I talked about, you know, how this is in between apocalypse and and horror. The last one even though it literally is an apocalypse, it is straight up horror just because it's it's psychological horror to these Oh yeah. People. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This one is this one is more kind of in between that because there's definitely a little bit of adventure to it. There's like car chases kind of thing. It's it's and, survival yeah. horror more than psychological. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I need to come up with like movie levels of like this kind of or like are we talking the road kind of apocalypse or are we talking like whatever that zombie movie that just came out that was like the Vegas zombie have to get in, find money, something. You, I don't know if either of you saw it. It was on Netflix. No. And Wait, it, Vegas yeah. zombie gotta get in. Are you talking about the the Zack Snyder? Yes. Um, what was Dead Army Ar- of the Dead? Yeah, Army of the Dead. I cannot believe I pulled that out of the air. Jesus! <laughs> wow. You Sorry, got me on I horror guess, like, zombies and Zack Snyder. I, I guess is it like the the kind of apocalypse that it's going to have me laying in the floor, going, "Oh God, we are doomed," or like the kind no. that it's going to have me going, "Yeah, okay, that's fun." No, this is more like it, it, fun adrenaline. That, like, okay. yeah, it's the kind that is like this is so unrealistic that I, I, there's cool. no fear that this is actually. Gonna yeah, cool. I mean. There is a possibility that scientists caused this by trying to tap into an alternate plane of existence and harness yeah. this new light energy, and in doing so, accidentally brought the darkness to Earth, but we yeah. don't know yet. Yeah, don't fucking doom us, Brian. This would never happen. And suddenly there are demons. <laughs> I'm blaming your ass. Yeah, it's actually, no. actually, Brian, uh, like... Six weeks after number one came out, there was a scientific study about trying to harness a new kind of light particle. So maybe no, we'll see. Well, the reason I know that's all fake is because it turns out there's no such thing as light. There's only dark, which is, which is yeah. Light is just the absence of dark. So it's all good. It's not the other way around. What? It's one hundred percent the other way around. <laughs> no, because that way when because that's what happens when you open your refrigerator, all the all the darkness leaks out, and that's why the lights comes on. 
Oh my god, stop! <laughs> and then, and then, patology became the crisis. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sober enough to handle that. Stop. I'm too sober to handle that. <sighs> I do not actually believe that. I know it's hilarious. No, it was great. I appreciate it. Yeah. <sighs> Yes, but I, I, but given the uh, the conversations that have happened, I do not want anyone to misinterpret. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> my thoughts here. That's fair. Enough people mm-hmm. believe Brian, and it's it becomes existence. <laughs> it becomes real things because James Tynan says it so. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> okay, Proctor Valley Road, Brian. We're moving on. Um, this is um, this is written by Grant Morrison and Alex Child. Uh, art is a Naomi Franqui. Uh Colors are uh, Tamara Bonvillon, and letters are Jim Camp by Jim Campbell. Um, this is a story set in the eighties. Um, and I will address straight up: there are some people who have criticized it for, um, uh, kind of insensitivity of language and attitudes of the time. Brian means and me. I- yeah, and that's fine. Yeah. And absolutely, I mean, I, 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 if if it is not something that would be acceptable today, and I fully believe and say that, but it it was representative of that time. So if if that you know, take it or leave it, and I'm, yeah. you're fine either way. Well, yeah. I, it is very much like a personal preference thing for it, me. It, to exactly, me, exactly. To me, it takes it takes me out a little bit because I am used to more contemporary language even in period comics yeah um yeah that's why i bump into it so that aside i want to talk about it because it is straight up horror there they go out to try to the idea behind it is they want to set up they want to try and make money so they can go to uh, a concert and their idea to do this is to take people on this haunted ride out to proctor valley road which has a reputation of you know being haunted so they go out there to kind of look at it and figure out how they're going to do this and three of the boys end up going missing and and get killed god damn it yeah (laughs) (laughs) i love that that every year there's that point where meg remembers oh shit i end up having to buy and read so many comics after this episode (laughs) they haven't all been read from last year like god damn it yeah (laughs) So that is where this is, and it is it is straight up horror from from that point forward. So with with what happens and um, you know what they find out, but uh, I I really enjoyed. I think the art in this is very very beautiful. It mm-hmm. it's very boom esque, yeah. Uh, which which I really really liked. Um, I'm I, I've read so many boom books this year because I find I really really enjoy that 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 kind of. I don't want to call it child, but it is, you know, it's softer. It's things tend to be a little more round and it's just something that personally right now I'm just, I'm enjoying. So I like it. Good stuff. Meg. Yes. Sabrina, the teenage witch, something wicked. Yeah. So this is done by Kelly Thompson. Um, Oh God, I could do all the show notes. Give me one second. I can do them if you want. Please. Art is by Veronica Fish and Andy Fish, and letters are by Jack Morelli. Thank you. 
Um, so this is uh, volume two of, um, I think the first one was just called Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, but it's the second one Kelly Thompson's done. It's continuing the story of her kind of still being a new kid and dealing with finding out that the mean girl in school fuses together with her brother to become some kind of like Wendigo creature. And, um, and it's by Kelly Thompson? Yes. Yep. Damn it, Meg. I know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, <clears throat> it is so much fun because it, it keeps a lot of what I love about the 90s Sabrina, which is that every time she uses her magic, something gets really screwed up. But it also is darker than that. Like, the stakes feel real. So, like... If um, the <sighs> chilling adventures of Sabrina is a little too much for you, but you want something a little bit more than that TG, uh, TGIA Friday, whatever the hell we called it, Sabrina show, I actually mm-hmm. really recommend this comic. I think it falls in really well there. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like one of the things Kelly Thompson does so well is... Write about topics and ideas that are difficult and are even sometimes traumatic without that feeling like a weight that pulls down the whole book all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think she handles those very deftly. Yeah. And it's really good with the cliffhangers of like where it's going next, both from like a magic standpoint, but also from like a, oh, she's in a love triangle. And it still kind of has that 1960s feel, Sabrina. Um, I mean, she's a teenage girl. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. I really enjoy it. Cool. I think I read at least the first couple of issues of the first arc. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, We all wanted to mention Secrets of Camp Whatever. Yeah. Uh, Earlier this year, Brian and I sat down with Chris Grine and talked about it. If you listen to Minds at Yerk, uh, Chris has been on the show more times than I can count at this point, uh, hanging out and talking Animorphs <laughs> and other things with Megan and me. Um, but this was such a fun book. Like, Gravity Falls vibes. Oh, yeah. yeah very, very much Gravity Falls-esque. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is about a summer camp where weird things happen. <laughs> and... Yeah. Like I, the uh, the main character uses hearing aids, and like that's handled really, really well throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like the designs and characters are all just they're all just fun. It's so much. It, it fun. is the 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 characters are wonderful to discover and learn about. The you know the the things that happen aren't too horrifying. They're they're just odd and maybe a little scary but not you know what i mean by that yeah. like it's it's yeah. all ages it is an all ages it is. book it is yeah. <laughs> the twins i just remembered the twins <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> yes no oh, yeah like, and oh sorry go ahead no yeah i just um a lot of my focus this year has kind of been on more of a understanding how we handle um what I would call middle grade horror these days, uh, which is mm-hmm. kind of where I would feel like if Animorphs was released today, kind of where it would end up. It'd be more obviously sci-fi, but like 
that general feel and like does it still hold up do things still hold up as scary um throughout like like reading both graphic novels and uh, just you know regular books but uh and, and i'm trying to find um the other one that i have to read but i just like i really think that a lot of think great things are being done in that kind of category and oh yeah um this falls yeah, into there's that. another one coming up in a minute that, that i'll talk about too yeah it's in that same category yeah yeah like i i wish i could see it and i'm trying to find it and i'm hoping i can remember who recommended it to me but yeah like it's really cool to check out the the middle grade comic section graphic novel section um it, it's one of the things i discovered when uh, reading some things and, and doing some things with my kids, like as they were growing up, right? That you discover that just because something is targeted for a younger audience doesn't mean that there's not still a lot of really, really good writing and literary value in them, right? For sure. Yeah. Like some of them are real, real good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, it's been ever since, ever since Unstoppable Wasp kind of like unsoured yeah. Yeah. me yes. on sort of the general tone that especially Marvel books had taken at the time, but superhero books kind of in general in that moment all sort of had <coughs> going. Like, it's a breath of fresh air, it's a different perspective, it's a different way of framing stakes, and it's a different kind of resolution in storytelling that, that actually I think is a really good antidote sometimes for the sameness and the grim darkness and some of those elements that can creep into you know, more mature comic books, yeah. whatever that means. Mm -hmm. There is a second book of Secrets of Camp Whatever coming up. It's still a little ways out. It's in May. Yeah. But Chris tweeted out the title and the cover art this week. It is called The Doors to Nowhere, which is just a great fucking title. Yeah. That's good. And That's the cover good. looks amazing. It does. So our recommendation for this year would be book one, but for next year, it'll be book, yes. book two. Yes. We, we will return with book two yeah. of the trilogy next year. There you go. Yeah, you beat me the to say it will only be a trilogy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The sure. Silver Coin. This is, this is kind of an odd, I guess not that odd, because we've also got, uh, we've already talked about Ice Cream Man and Haha, -Ha, but this is another horror anthology book. Um, I am a big fan of anthology horror in comics. I think it's a great format, period. Well, it has a very long history, right? Like, right. You, you go back to, like, House of Secrets and House of Mystery and all those old kind of horror comics, you know, that, that started a lot of this. And they were all these kind of anthology stories. Uh, and for me, yeah. especially, like, straight horror in comics. Mm-hmm doesn't work as well in single issues because you don't have the same sort of flow in storytelling because I feel like horror more than more than a lot of other comic genres is super structural, right? Like it is building momentum over the course of an arc or a story. And I think comics that actually handle that in monthly release as well as they do in graphic novel form are kind of few and far between. But that's a non-issue for, for anthology horror. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why I tend to gravitate toward those so much. Uh, this one takes a slightly different approach. Instead of being a different artist every issue, or just the same creative team every issue, 
the riders revolve and a single artist draws with uh, an assist on coloring. Oh, that's so, so cool. the entire series is drawn and lettered by Michael Walsh with colors by Michael Walsh and Tony Murray Griffin. The first five issues, uh, which are the first trade, are written by Chips Darsky, Kelly Thompson, Ed Brisson, God Jeff Lemire, it. and Michael Walsh. Yeah. Uh, there is a second arc planned. I don't have the whole list in front of me, but I feel like Dan Waters has been mentioned. Um, I think Vita Ayala and Ortini Howard have been mentioned. Uh, at least one of the two. Um, so I like, really gotta stop doing this fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is the real reason why Meg's down to just twice a year. <laughs> No, I'd come back. I just, I, I'd have to catch up on so much. I'm, I'm teasing. I I'm know, teasing. I know. I, yeah. Um, this is another one that I knew when I mentioned you would say, "Well, fuck." Mm-hmm. Uh, and each, each different chapter is following this one coin at different points in history. So you've got one set in contemporary times. You have one set. My, I think my favorite issue of the first arc is the Kelly Thompson one, which is set at a summer camp and is very, like, uh, uh, I know what you did last summer, scream, just slasher movie, about the kid who finds the coin and everyone tells the horror stories about slashers on the campgrounds, and then the coin, like, compels her to go murder everybody. She becomes the monster she's afraid of. Uh, you've got some set like in future steampunk or cyberpunk settings, uh, and then like the last issue of this first arc is actually the origin of the coin. Uh, so it hops around in time. It's not like going in order or anything. It's just that's the connecting tissue. Instead of like the same host or the same writer, it's just the same MacGuffin. Yeah, interesting. Like yeah, like that. I said, there's, there's, and, and yeah, and there's a reason that, and, you know, TV shows too. You know, you have Night Gallery and Creep Show, and, mm-hmm. and those shows that there's a reason that I think that horror is done in these vignettes like this because it lets you just get to the, you know, the the you do the quick setup and then you do the scenes that are that horror, and like that is what is the the yeah the the what you get out of it, right? It's not like this ongoing story where you're building a a hero up or yeah, I mean, other, yeah. Any horror told as an ongoing at some point becomes dark fantasy at a uh, certain yeah, it, level. It has to, right? Because you can't, and that's kind of my point, is you can't keep having, yeah. it can't be just those scenes again and again right. and again. If, you, if you're an ongoing, you at some point have to explain the rules of your world and it becomes mm-hmm. less inherently scary. Yeah. But short form lets you not explain as much. Correct. Brian. Mm-hmm. Your other boom book. Yeah. Spectre Inspectors. Yeah, this is written by Bowen McCurdy and Caitlin Musto. Uh, art is Bowen McCurdy. Letters Jim Campbell. And the design is Michelle Onkley. Um, this is, I talked about this book on the show. I absolutely adored this book. This is, I don't want to, I don't even want to know if I want to say it's all ages, but certainly, you know, like probably 10 plus. Yeah. Um, like, you know, there's a demon that possesses a girl, but, you know, it, there's, no, there, there's no gore and blood and that kind of stuff, really. Um, it is about this uh, essentially video channel 
uh, you know, think YouTube channel, right? Of these ghost hunters where they go in and, and it's these friends who, you know, investigate paranormal houses, right? And there's one who, you know, believes in all this and, and thinks that it's real. She's kind of the main driving force. Um, and everybody else is either a little bit skeptical or, you know, downright just humors her kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but um, they end up going to this one town and uh, let's just say things get a little too real. So, um, <laughs> and there's a little bit of a mystery they have to solve and there's, you know, some, uh, some good character development and relationship stuff that starts to happen. And it's just really, really, really fun to read. I, I just absolutely adore this book. Yeah. You've talked about this before. I, I need to pick this one up. This, yeah. this sounds yeah, the, like so much two, fun. The two, and I guess I can, I can do a quick insertion here for another one, which, you know, I guess borders on horror. It was, it's really more something else, but last witch was in the same mm. vein. Um, both of these kind of have that same, um, kind of, I guess what, what Meg was talking about, that kind of middle grade feel to them, but are still spectacular in my opinion. Awesome. Yeah. Just... Stillwater. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I just, I, I need the show notes. I'm just, I need to reopen them. That's all. It's just, <laughs> it's just like. Just copy and paste the like, list. Sometimes I could be like, eh, that just doesn't sound like my yeah. kind of horror. And I just haven't had one of those tonight. You know, a, a weird, like, peek behind the curtain for this episode. Yeah. Normally, I don't read a lot of horror throughout the year. This is the first year we're like, and I'm so, so glad that it worked out this way. Because yeah, I just finished Heather's. If I had had to cram, like, six trades this week to be able to do this show, it it wouldn't have happened. It would be out, It would be coming out a week later. Um... Literally, other than, like, a couple of issues of some things I was behind on. Like, I caught up on Stillwater and Witchblood and Eat the Rich and Deadbox and Homesick Pilots and <laughs> Ice Cream Man. Like, I had an issue of each of those to read today, right? Um, I basically have just been reading these all ongoing. Like, these are stuff that I've liked so much that I haven't waited for trades. Right. Gotcha. Like, this has been a really good year for fresh horror. There's very little on this list that didn't come out this year. Well, and one of the things that you can go back and look at this list is it covers such, this year in particular covers a very wide gamut of types of horror, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, everything from Spectre Inspectors to, you know, uh, um, the Silver Coin, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean. And and honestly, this could just be entirely a coincidence, but like. I know for the publishing world, like, books are decided two or three years in advance. So, like, is this a result of COVID had everybody locked inside just kind of working out their terror? Or is this something that happened a couple of years ago that had a bunch of people at home working on their I, terror? I think, I think it's more that. The only one of these books that I know was developed during COVID, for a fact, is Noctera. Okay. The silver coin might also have been... The silver coin... I think the silver coin spun out of a COVID thing. Michael Walsh, during COVID, was having trouble sleeping and, like, having weird, like, stress dreams, nightmares. Okay. And I forget what he called the project, but he actually turned it into almost, like, daily or weekly comics as a dream journal. 
And I think that the silver coin kind of came out of that impulse of the sort of like anthologized horror as a way to sort of process these nightmares he was having. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but beyond well, that, like therapy. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Beyond that though, I think all of these, all of these were in some way, shape or form in the works pre COVID. Okay. Probably so. Yeah. So probably just more coincidence than anything. Yeah. Now, there's maybe the case that because horror consumption has been so high over the last two years that a lot of these have maybe survived longer because Fair. there's more interest in the genre. Um, but I think and I mean, some of the stuff that we'll get to, we've got a longer list than normal of like things that are one or two issues in that we're not going to spend long on. Like, I think those are all developed during COVID. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Most of those probably are. Um, but most of, like, even Swamp Thing, right? Swamp Thing, which we'll talk about in a minute, like, it was developed as part of the plans to relaunch after Death Metal that were in development going back to, like, early 2018. It's in a little different form than it was in that plan, but this, like, that the that got planned so far ahead that I know that even the, that The roots predates. of it. Eh, eh, eh. <laughs> um, I got you, Brian. Anywho, Stillwater. Written by Chip Starsky. Art by Ramon K. Perez. Colors by Mike Spicer. And letters by Russ Wooten. This is another one that's kind of more drawing on psychological than overt horror. Uh, this is about a guy who gets a, a, a letter that he has <laughs> inherited a house in a small town. Fantasy. See, I told you it would come back, Med. It would come back, Meg. I think, actually, I think when we talked about it at some other point, I made the same argument. Stop doing this, people. But also, I think don't. So. I love horror so much. Don't do that. Um, in this case, that small town is this localized geographic area where nobody ages and can die. Like, you are functionally immortal and do not do not age if you live in this town of Stillwater. And it's a deeply guarded secret. And it turns out that this guy had been born in Stillwater and snuck away. Like, as a baby, he was snuck away by his mother so he would not be forever trapped as an infant. And he has been summoned back for reasons that at the beginning of the series nobody knows. <laughs> uh, and discovers the town's secret and, like, Sets off this chain of events that sort of destabilizes the entire town. Uh, but it's like somebody's pregnant. Um, they stay oh. pregnant. Oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> they stay pregnant because the the zygote or fetus, depending on where they are in the timeline, would never age. Oh, there are there are like forty year old toddlers in this book. Have their the most, this is a horror book, yeah. No, that's awful. <laughs> the most angry people in this book are the children. Have their brains kept aging? Yeah, no. No, no. The baby can't talk. It's just a 40-year-old baby. Fuck. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, just knowing cognitive development, yeah. Like, the like a, a, a young child's brain, there are things that it can't process like an adult yeah. brain does. Yeah. But the re like for for as like shocking as all of those details are, the real horror is like the small town government side of it. 
Oh, it's no. the corrupt sheriff who is like the source of power and has seized control of the town and just enforces his will or the corrupt judge rather. Yeah, because they're going to have that forever. Yeah. Yeah. And like the longer they protect the status quo, the longer they just have power. I don't love that. <laughs> In like a that's too horrifying to conceive way or or No, just like bad government government bad kind of way no i already have the first volume of Stillwater. i just didn't plan properly for anything this year let's be honest so yeah <laughs> i mean 2021 only barely counts i feel like yeah like it's a year um it's the shaking all the dust off maybe most some of the dust a little of the dust trying to shake the dust off year that's fair swamp thing Gotta talk about Swamp Thing. Oh, so good. Written by Rom V, art by Mike Perkins, colors by Sean Spicer, letters by Aditya Bittakar. Brian, you may not know this, but season two of Swamp Thing has gotten the green light. Oh, heck yeah. So this this run of it's a 10-issue miniseries. There will be a second 10-issue series that follows it and grows out of it. Woohoo! It's Rom V. I love Rom V. Yeah, and this is this is much closer. Again, kind of like I guess Immortal Hulk is is horror, right? Yeah, this is it. Is, this is as close to horror, I think, as as Swamp Thing has pretty much ever been. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it floats across that line. How's that? And it's like using horror as a metaphor for like inherited responsibility and cultural obligation and imperialism. Yeah. And the ways that uh, mega corporations drain resources from countries that need those resources. Hmm. It's almost like countries that took advantage of, or, of other countries um, when they left, then corporations just took their place. Yeah. <laughs> the East India Trading Company is alive and well. Hmm. And called Amazon. Um, it's Swamp Thing. I love Swamp Thing. I love Rom V. Two great flavors that taste great together. <laughs> I don't know I don't what know else to say I about did, it. I didn't. I didn't like my book, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you really want an immersive experience, Brian, <laughs> all five senses, huh? <laughs> See it, smell it, touch it, kiss it. <laughs> okay. Listening to it doesn't do a whole lot. I will grant you that. <laughs> well, you can you can kind of crinkle the paper as you turn the pages a little bit. That's true. That's true. Get get some ASMR going. That's it. Are you making fun of me? <laughs> we'll see if I that paper it. flipping picks up in the uh, <laughs> final go. recording. Mine? No, yeah, I was I was, just, I was flipping oh. pages into my mic. Because yeah. I've totally been like trying to figure out what the hell happens in this book, but okay. In. In Swamp Thing? Nope. In Stillwater. Stillwater. No, 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 in a different book. We'll oh. talk about it in a oh. little bit. Okay. Uh, you have anything else for Swamp Thing, Brian? I don't. Uh, it's, it's a real good, real good version of this book. It is. You should read it. Witchblood. Uh, this is written by Matthew Ehrman, with art by Lisa Stirl, colors by Gob Contreras, and letters by Andworld Design. Uh, this is another one that, especially early on, maybe doesn't feel like abject horror. But it's about witches and witch hunters and vampires and elder gods that might actually be aliens. I I oh don't my. I don't really know. I don't really know. Um, but basically, 
redneck vampires want to kill witch god, drink her blood, and uh, become all-powerful vampire gods. Yeah. Uh, and the witches and witch hunters can agree that they don't want that to happen. Let's team <laughs> yeah, up and stop the nobody vampires. nobody else wants that to happen, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, our, this is uh, very much a the you read this for the characters. The characters yeah. are wonderful in this. It's yeah. got a really great sense of humor. I think it was issue two, like, and the the most recent issue, number seven, also did this at one point too. But like, tells you what song to put on and listen to while you yeah. play. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, like, or while you read, rather. While you read, yeah, yeah. Um, like there's a bar fight in issue two, and it's like this is the song that's playing for this bar fight. Go listen. Go yeah. While you read this, put the song on. <laughs> and it was some like honky tonk country jukebox uh-huh. song. Like yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good. Um, but I love the character designs. I love just the whole look and feel of the book. The color palette is fantastic. It's super bright, which is it is. Um, and it gets. I will tell you this, as especially issue seven that I read right before we recorded, this shit gets dark. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I and you know what? It's it's one of those I, I've read. I think I don't know three, four issues, something like that. Yeah. Um. I, I but I very much got the impression that a lot of the the humor and lightness and colors were all there to put you in a certain frame of mind before something yeah. else happened. Yeah. It, it builds contrast. <laughs> there you go. Oh, Lord. All right. Let's talk about some things that are only one or two issues deep. Some current spoopy stuff, as I have it list in the sh- listed in the show notes. All right. All right. Arkham City, The Order of the World. Uh, we've got one issue of this. It's a six-issue series written by Dan Waters, art by Danny. You will remember the two of them as the creative team behind Coffin Bound, or at least the writer and artist behind Coffin Bound. Colors by Dave Stewart and Letters by Aditya Bidikar. Uh This is about a bunch of Arkham inmates who have escaped and the doctor who was treating them who is trying to track them down. And also the ghost of Amadeus Arkham might be hunting and killing them all. Slash Asriel and or Asriel might be hunting and killing them all. Uh, but all, have you gotten a chance to read this yet, Brian? Mm-mm. Little column A, little column B, huh? Um, well, there's also this character called the Tin-Eyed Man, whose eyes are in his fingertips. Think somewhere along the lines of, what was, what was the name of the, the scary dude in Gideon Falls? Oh, God. Um. The little kid? No, the, like, faceless dude or whatever. Oh, God. Think like the, so- first, the first super scary guy that shows up. Think yeah. somewhere along the lines of that character or the upside down man in Justice yeah, League Dark. Yeah. Yep. Um, and each of his each of his finger eyes does a different thing, and like you think he's bullshitting at first, and then you cut to a little later. This guy who he was tormenting shows up in the hospital, and his jawbone has been removed. All the skin that was there is still there. He's just like removed the bone by pulling it like phasing it through the skin oh so he's like um he's like demon man with beholder eyes on his fingertips sure yeah there we go (laughs) nope i hate that sure (laughs) um and like he is he is trying to get the parts to perform a spell to cast away and protect the inmates who have escaped from amadeus arkham's ghost boy like it is weird and dark and I, like like I said it's the same 
writer and artist is coffin bound and i yeah. love that weird dark book uh i'm not sure if that book can is horror but it feels like horror um this definitely is like if you want horror in like gotham mm-hmm. this is the rare book that i think really does that super well got it dead box we are two issues deep here meg did you get a chance to read number one i read number one i did not realize we were two issues deep I think two came out last two week. Two came out last oh, week. Okay, that would be why. Yeah. Dang. Okay. This is this okay. is the book that made me realize that all Mark Russell has to do to be a horror writer is like strip away the satire but say the exact same things he would say. Yeah, no, way. like that's a like <sighs> Mark. Like, could you not? But also <laughs> Mark, are you telling me this machine like We'll only spit out one movie for you. Like, now I kind of wish I had known about issue two. Because, uh, like, what? Like, I get the <laughs> implication. Uh, especially, like, I read the back cover. So, like, I get it. But also, what is going on? Yeah. So, this is another small town culture is terrifying book. <laughs> Um, it's about a woman who runs this, what, is it a drugstore in a small town? Or a convenience store? Yeah. In a small town? And there is basically a red box that gives thematically appropriate videos or DVDs to the people who walk in the door. So it's got a little bit of that horror anthology element but through the connective tissue of, like, the story of what's going on in this town. The first one's very much about, like, her and her father the second one is about this guy in town who buys this brightly colored pair of pants at a church swap meet. Oh, no. They turn out to be women's pants. He's like, I don't care. They look good on me. He's immediately ostracized for being queer, even though like that's not how he identifies at all. Oh, God. Just because the Bible says don't wear uh, the other gender's pants. Gender's not binary, but that's what it says. Um... Okay, so I'm gonna and have like, to wait this just for this. Snowballs for him. Yeah, I just I'm gonna have to wait for this dread, and I'm gonna have to be prepared. That's what it sounds like. Like you keep I reading heard... it in single issues, so that when I read I it in trade, <laughs> I could be like, Alex, I'm breaking. I need to stop. <laughs> and you could be like, No, keep going. It gets a little bit better. Or be like, See, y- yes, yeah, stop. You said you said prepared, and I heard not sober. Yes. <laughs> no you guys were talking about the same thing <laughs> yeah yeah i don't think you misheard no no um has anyone else read eat the rich uh yes i've heard about it there's something about it that i'm just kind of like i'm waiting to hear if how ridiculous it is i guess like this is this feels like something that has to be for me to want to read it, it has to be really well done with this ridiculous of a title. We're two issues in, and I really like it. It's okay. Yeah. The title at the moment is a little misleading because it's actually about super wealthy cannibals. Okay. Yeah. The the people eating the rich are the other rich. Yes. Okay. Or I guess actually they're not even they're they're they're, <laughs> they're not even eating rich, right? They're eating like they're eating their staff. servants. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the first issue is about this woman and her boyfriend are coming back to the boyfriend's hometown for her first time and the first time in a long time for him. And it is one of their house staff's retirement party that night. 
and she steps out for air after being like really uncomfortable in the sign environment because she is not from money and sees her boyfriend's father and some other wealthy dudes from town chasing down cutting up killing and eating this servant who is retiring oh good lord and the second issue somehow takes that and makes it a little more terrifying by making it about capitalism see that's the thing is like uh i don't know how much i want to really read about like capitalism bad because like i get a lot of that in what i read already well well and i'll say this the way the second issue does it is by tying it mostly to well yeah we all have medical expenses we can't afford so this prolongs our lives and pays our bills and in turn we are snacks later i mean to be fair autonomous which again i'm never gonna be able to pronounce correctly also is a lot about how capitalism bad but also how easy it is to fall into capitalism so true i shouldn't yeah. be like no it's about capitalism but i feel like with that title and knowing that it is about that i'm just i'm gonna wait i gotta wait yeah, yeah. well and there, yeah, there's definitely the aspect of right like you have to make different choices when you have when you don't have money that you don't have to make when you yeah. do have money. Yeah. yeah, I will say this: it does not feel super tongue in cheek to me, but it feels like it. It feels like it would not exist if Get Out did not exist. Okay, it obviously it has a very different relationship to race because none of the main characters. I was about to ask: are... is the creative team all white? Because like. <sighs> I don't believe, I think there are, I think there's at least one person on the creative team who is a person of color, but I'm not super familiar with all these creators, so I don't know about the rest. Okay. Um, but it's not, it's not about race beyond the intersection of race and affluence. Um, okay. You see members of the staff who are people of color. Okay. I will wait. Because yeah. I trust you to tell me something that you think I would enjoy. Yeah. I'll let you know once it's done. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's your turn to tell us about human remains. Okay. So I grabbed this one because uh, if I have learned anything from my comic boys, it is uh, just grab things that are vaults. Truth. And uh, especially uh, in Spooktacular Buds where you see issue ones that say vaults, which again is human remains um did either of you pick this up or like know anything about it i didn't but that's only because for me personally peter milligan can be a little hit or miss fair i get that um and i'm not entirely sure if i i, I don't know i i mean it, let me try that again it may take me another issue to decide that but uh i think the cover's pretty amazing because it's this very like yes idyllic um suburban life with blood splatter just everywhere is that the is that the cover with like body parts in the bushes uh it's blood all over the flowers and like a shoe okay. and bugs yeah. okay so what this is about is there is something either it first it seems to apply alien so maybe like the world thinks it's alien, but it may also be some kind of, like, virus or bacteria. Basically, no one has a fucking clue. But just <laughs> one day, anybody who could who expressed serious emotion in a public place, we're talking, like, 
laughter died. Like, big thing came, ate them. Disappeared. Oh, no. Yeah. I like the concept. Because, like, there's it kind of opens up with this guy who, like, it's clearly been a while that this is going on. And he is just ready to explode. And so he goes outside and explodes. And, like, I have the freedom to, you know, express my emotions and blah, blah, blah. And this thing pops into existence and kills him with his wife standing there. And she is not, she cannot express any emotion about the fact that she just watched her husband die. So like, the parts and pieces of this, the parts and pieces of this feel very much like a response to, or conversation with quarantine and COVID yeah. and reemerging into the world. I, I, there are, yeah. Cause there are a lot of like discussion and this may be why I asked if a lot of these were created during uh quarantine, because there is a lot of panels and commentary on the different kinds of groups that were fighting for the freedom for emotions, because it's not just like a, it's kind of an any kind of issue very easily. And, but especially discussing how very quickly those groups lost members. And then yeah. it focuses in on this couple and their wedding day, which is like D-Day. And you get to see the entire creature. And... I don't know. I really enjoyed it, but I can also see it being very commentary heavy. And I don't, again, I don't like that so much in my horror. So that's fair. I think this next one is going to be another God damn it oh, book fuck. for you, Meg. Oh, yeah. Um, This is called The Me You Love in the Dark. It's written by Scotty Young with art by Jorge Corona. Colors by Jean-Francois Beaulieu, and letters by Nate Piekos. Um, It is about an artist who is trying to, like, get her show ready for a gallery show. And rents the spookiest haunted house she can find to inspire her. Yeah, she's she's trying to find inspiration to, yeah, to, to, you know, create her next show. She's had apparently one really, really successful run, right? And now okay. a lot is expected of her. And so she's trying to, like, yeah, get this inspiration for more. Okay. So um, this is another one that I think plays a little bit with expectation. We are mm-hmm. three issues out of five deep here. And I'm not 100% sure what happens next or where this goes. <laughs> but uh, so far it is, you know, your basic story. Girl meets Eldritch Ghost. Girl and oh, Eldritch no. Ghost become uh, friendly. Girl and Eldritch Ghost become friendly. And, I gotta uh, say this sounds, to black. this sounds more like my roommate's kind of book <laughs> than uh, <laughs> mine. But... Uh... Yeah, okay. I'm here for it. Yeah, it's... uh, When I talked about it a couple of weeks ago with with JD and Angela, one of them definitely used the term monster fucker. So... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're not using those words to describe my my roommate, for the record. No. But also, that's definitely the stuff they like to read. Not... Yeah, that's... No, monster lover. We'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
definitely some monster loving happening in this book. <laughs> God. It's also very pretty. It's a it very, very pretty book. It's going to have to be because otherwise it's going to feel cheap. Like the monster is always sort of, with rare exception, always sort of shown as this almost like, it's not a music staff, but it kind of flows like a music staff would flow through a space if it were drawn in as music. Okay. But this, like, ribbon of, like, piano keys or or this sort of flowing thing that just sort of wafts through the space and then interacts with things. And this disembodied voice. And you see the monster at one point, and it is an eldritch horror. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, like, so far it's a pretty cool, respectful eldritch horror. Okay. So like, far. I, 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 like the, and this is, I think, why one of the reasons Alex is saying that we're not sure where it's going to go because it doesn't feel like it can stay like this. Gotcha. But like he has just been like the nicest. Like, yeah, you would make friends with this ghost because yeah, yeah. I feel like I do need to read this because neither of you have the best ghost vibes, and I need to read it so I can be like, you know, guys, this is bad ghost vibes, or be like, no, <laughs> like this is good ghost vibes. Don't worry. It it always feels like it's about to break bad on the ghost's part, okay. yeah. but then the ghost doesn't break bad. So I'm kind of just still waiting for that. Interesting, interesting. Okay. It, it, yes. Sounds like someone that I very much have a crush on, though. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> uh, porcelain. Uh, this is written, drawn, colored, and I think lettered. It might be lettered by Saida Timofante. Saida Timofante yeah. letters a lot of Maria Jovate's stuff. But everything else, at least, is Maria Jovate. Mm-hmm. Um, I described this one early, like the first issue of this, as sort of like a dark fairy tale. Getting lost on the path and ending up in the witch's house. And I think that's very much accurate, at least for the first issue. After that, it becomes about surviving and escaping the doll maker who wants to take the people who wander into the house, supposedly to never leave, remove parts of them and replace them with doll parts. As one does. So definitely some horror body horror vibes there, but also in like a fairy tale wrapper. Okay. Yeah. And uh, last one, Brian. Yeah. Refrigerator full of heads. Yeah, this is written by uh, Rio Yours with art by Tom Fowler. Uh, this is the sequel to Basketful of Heads uh, that came out last year. What? Uh, yeah. This just came out today. And it came out today. That's why I'm, yeah. So I, I definitely wanted to mention this. So you can get in, you can kind of get in on the, I'd say on the ground floor, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen. It'll be a trade, but that's okay. Right. But, uh, yeah, the, we get to go back to Brody Island, and I'm very excited. Oh, that's so cool. I'm so excited to see what happens. Yeah, me too. I'm going to throw in two quick audible mentions. I, audible mentions? Honorable mentions. Sure. Um, I mean, Meg, it's, audible, it's audible, too, because we're <laughs> doing a podcast. Meg mentioned the Lolo Woods earlier. The trade paperback for that came out within the last couple of weeks. Oh, good to know. Um, and then also, we didn't really talk about Blue and Green. I didn't pester anyone to read it as much as I should have. But it was my favorite thing I read last year and definitely has some, like, horror elements. But it's about, like, art and obsession and mourning and dealing with loss. Oh, I know what you didn't mention, Alex. You didn't mention, what was it, The Portrait of Dorian Gray? Well, I didn't mention that because three issues came out and issues four and five have been delayed for like eight months running. Now. Okay. Good Lord. Right. So I'm not sure what's up with that one. It's it's 
the the picture of everything else is oh, the book it. you're yeah, talking yeah. about and it's yeah. gorgeous i can't wait to see the rest of it but i i have to i have to didn't you also um, mention that uh there was going to be a new issue of chilling adventures of sabrina yeah i think that just came out okay i need to go see if i can find it maybe i know what i'm doing for lunch tomorrow yeah. Um, and I think they announced that they're doing a follow-up series that's that's not necessarily specifically about Sabrina, but it's like a pulp horror series in that world. Nope, not until they finish Sabrina. <laughs> okay, if you're going to give me a taste of it, you're bringing it back. You're at least wrapping up the goddamn arc, please. I am very behind on, on solicitations, so I will figure that out and let you know. Oh, God, you're fine. No, no, and no, 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 no. Don't worry Sometime soon, Brian and I, well, I say that partly to mention, probably the next episode you hear after this, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. is going to be a solicitations episode to catch yeah. up on some solicitations. Since we cool. missed a month or two. Yeah. Or so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. We were both very busy. Oops. Wait, so you're doing it like happens. multiple months solicitations? Uh, November, December, and at this rate, probably January. Yeah, wow. they're out. Okay. <laughs> We're gonna do They've lot. started coming out. I know, I know. Um, so hang on to your butts. Uh, well, Anyone else want to throw anything else out there? Yeah, I got a, a couple things. Um, Comic-wise, uh, my friend uh, Joe Ciano uh, is one of the co-creators on a comic called Children of the Woods, which is coming out with Dark Horse Comics. Uh, I do believe it's coming out in January, but it um, definitely will be in anybody's horror wheelhouse. Go check Sweet. it out. Um, and also, just because I remember last year we talked so much about Mexican uh, Gothic. Yes. Um, I have just started certain dark things. Uh, it is excellent. I'm only about a quarter of the way through it. Um, that's her... Noir, uh, vamp. No, it's not noir. It is about the Mexican vampire wars, kind of. It's man. There's so many layers in her books. Excuse me. I did read her noir book as well, but that's not really horror. This one yeah. definitely has vampires. I have my copy of it. I have my copy of Velvet Was the Night as well, the the noir book. It is very good. I have not gotten to read either yet. <laughs> um, um, but I will soon because I love Silvia Moreno Garcia. And I also wanted to throw out there uh Seanan McGuire, who also writes comics, um, has an anthology called Dying with Her Cheer Pants on that if you like the idea of here is the world, um, which in this one is that there is a high school where the varsity cheerleading squad um, essentially is our Avengers in the concept that like <laughs> you are picked to join this. And once you join, like you have contracted to save the world. Um, so the varsity cheerleaders keep dying, but nobody remembers how they die because they've saved the world, thus resetting it. Save the cheerleader, save the world. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I, that immediately popped into my head. It's yes. a really cool concept that she took that instead of writing a novel, she kind of just went, here's the world. Here's an example of the world by going, here's the team 
that got killed right before the team I'm about to do an anthology is about. And um, I still need to finish it. I, I started it last month and it is wonderfully fall aesthetic. Cause again, it's, it's football cheerleaders and, but it, it's also like, I, no joke. The very first story is about an alien apocalypse that gets in the, that, that, that stopped by bloody fucking Mary. <laughs> like, is this, did she publish this under her name or under her pen name? No, this is under Sean and McGuire. Um, okay. you're not going to find an actual physical copy of it. Uh, I mean, you can't, they're in the wild, but they are, uh, likely pricey because, uh, it is with an imprint that does limited runs and they're signed and things like that. So the initial run was $40. So I, I haven't even looked, but I would not be surprised if this is easily a thousand dollars now, but it has that like very nineties Buffy feel of like being episodic. But also you're cool. learning about the characters. Yeah. So just like that's the concept, though, is that it's a cheerleading squad. Outside of that, like, you don't really need to know much other than, fingers crossed, they're going to be the ones that survive senior year. That sounds really cool. Yeah. I just finished Metroid Dread, which is, like, <laughs> tense and terrifying nice. at mm. times. Nice. It's um... the only non-comics horror I can contribute. <laughs> There you go. Uh, what about I'm you? trying to think. No, but I will. I will mention one horror adjacent comic. If you're, if you, if you like Lock and Key, the uh, Sandman Lock and Key, the second issue of that finally came out. Not oh yeah, long. yeah, yeah. Hell, uh, Hell and Gone, which is the Sandman Lock and Key crossover. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot they were doing that. Yep. Um. Hey Meg. Hey Alex. Should we mention some of Robert's horror podcasts? Sure. Yeah. Um. If you like any kind of fiction drama or like especially mockumentary drama, um, go check out Tunnels over at Haunted Griffin Entertainment. Uh, the last season is currently going on and it is, I just think, a really brilliant podcast. Like having talked to Robert about all of it and having listened to and read through all of it, I just think it's so great and so well done. It's, it's made some like best horror podcast of yeah. the year lists too. Yeah. Um, and if you listen carefully, you might hear a voice you recognize. You might hear a couple. Yeah, that's true. Mm. I'm it. Me. I have three lines in one episode. Yeah, I've got two. I feel like you're in it more than I am. I, I I'm in two different episodes. Yeah. So. Robert asked me if I wanted to do a part. I was like, me? Really? Sure. <laughs> have to do like the I'm an... hidden Alex going forward. <laughs> I'm an orderly. <laughs> I love it. All right. This was fun. Yeah, we'll was... do it again next year. Wait, Brian, do you have uh, any horror? Oh. Did you have anything horror? Did I miss it? I'm so sorry. Who are you talking to me? Yeah. No. Yeah. And, um, gosh, I'm trying to think. I watched a couple of really, really bad ones that I don't want to recommend. Okay. Either, so I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I watched Brian's face searching for something to throw in there yeah, and was, saw yeah, the the head shake no. I mean, gotcha. I watched Squid Games and um Alice in Borderland. Those are both those are both real good, but they're not really horror. I mean, uh, I guess I guess they kind of are, but <laughs> 
Yeah, we've yeah. been doing. Um, my roommate actually hadn't seen any of the Halloween movies or any of the Scream movies, and <gasps> oh. Scream is my absolute favorite horror uh, series, and I'm very excited for number five. Um, nope. I, I go ahead. Sorry. I, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. I was going to say, I do have one. I'm sorry. It just popped into my head. Um, the R.L. Stein's Fear Street. Oh, yes. God, those, those are so are good. really, really good. Yes. Like, I was shocked at how good they were. I was not. I was expecting them to be okay, but I was like, oh, no, this is real no, good. No, they're so good. They're so good as separate movies, I feel like. Although, yeah. it's a little questionable about the third one in that. But Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Uh, but the first half of the third one stands up on its own is just fine. But... Yep. Um, yeah, like I, I literally last night said to Alex, like, I wish you could handle horror because the storytelling and like it and it's insane that we're talking about this because it's such a great queer story and the Netflix uh, pe- uh, employees have walked out. Not all of them, but a good bit of them today. So because of a queer representation. So, yeah. Yeah, but Fear Street is really fucking good. Yeah, Fear Street's real good. So there's my there's my recommendation. Cool. We would like to, as always, thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. Panelology is a member of the Certain POV Network. If you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture, go to certainpov.com. Hey Meg, what should they listen to? Pick one. Pick one to tell people to listen to. No, don't make me do this. Books That Burn. Cool. Great choice. <laughs> books That Burn is actually great. They've done a couple of books uh, recently that I really, really enjoy. Awesome. Uh, you can visit us at panelologypodcast.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash panelology. Get merch at bit.ly slash panelologymerch, capital P, capital M. Or send us questions, comments, or whatever at bit.ly slash mailbag capital p capital m i'm alex i'm brian i'm megan go read spoopy comics CPOV. CertainPOV.com.